This podcast is brought to you by Knowledge at Wharton. For more information, please visit knowledge.wharton.upenn.edu. Often perceived as acting in ways that harm the economy, society, and the environment due to a short-term focus on profits, big business is now starting to use its power for long-term good, according to Lucy Parker and John Miller, authors of Everybody's Business, the unlikely story of how big business can fix the world. In an interview with Wharton management professor Vitold Hennish, Parker and Miller explain why a new norm is evolving and why some of the very companies that have been singled out for crimes and misdemeanors are leading the way in creating a focus where doing good is at the core, rather than at the periphery of their businesses. Vitold Hennish, uh, professor of management here at the Wharton School with um, Lucy Parker and John Miller. It's a real pleasure to have this opportunity to talk with both of you. Uh, I really enjoyed reading your book recently uh, on the topic, The Unlikely Story About How Big Business Can Fix the World. Um, can you speak a bit about the origins of the book? Uh, I mean, in this time of skepticism, hostility towards big business, uh, where the profession of management has fallen even below lawyers in terms of its uh, <laughs> reputation, according sure. to a longstanding Pew Research poll, what inspired you both individually and, and together to come together and write this book? Well, I think the in the subtitle, in, in a way, the unlikely story of how big business can fix the world because you talk about big business to most people out there in the world and you get kind of a, a quite instant sort of allergic reaction mm-hmm. often. There's a very, very deep-seated sort of suspicion and hostility towards big business and it's kind of easy to understand why. I mean, these big companies have a long history of crimes and misdemeanors which are, are well documented and everybody knows and it's great that people are holding them to account. But I think for both of us, in, in different ways, we had seen in our, uh, in our histories that it's not the only story, actually, that um, big businesses can also be really powerful, positive engines for social change. And, and it's a kind of missed opportunity for the world, actually. If the only story around is that big businesses are the bad guys, and we miss the opportunity to harness that power and, and direct it at some, at some positive change. Mm-hmm. So the book is really targeted at the skeptics, the, the, the activists, the, those who are critical, uh, or is it the sympathetic managers who are trying to affect this change? Who, who are you trying to reach? Both. I think that, um, <laughs> again, going back to the title of the book, everybody is the short answer. But actually, uh, I think that the fact is that there's a world outside business that doesn't understand it, that doesn't get it, And as John was saying, it felt to us as though there are a lot of things to describe, a lot of things to see that businesses do that a lot of people never get to see. And our working lives had given us the opportunity to see them. So it felt as though we needed to tell those stories so that people who are not familiar with business could see them. But there was also running in our heads, I think, the feeling that if you are in a big business and either doing this stuff or asking yourself the question, how how does our business relate to this skepticism on the outside, that it would be good if those people found themselves nodding for once and going, yes, that, that is how we look at it. That is how we act. And that you wanted to show people on the inside of business how much they could do. Well, the, the book follows a structure of, of bringing the reader along on a journey, a personal journey, a, a corporate journey, uh, in which executives from a number of leading multinationals, Coca-Cola, Pepsi, SAB Miller, IBM, Unilever, um, Mahindra, MTN, so many companies, um, even mining companies, which, which people may be surprised at, such as BHP and Anglo-American, um, go on a journey of, of trying to affect social change in a profitable manner. 
Um, you referenced your own personal backgrounds, and how did you meet these individuals? How did you choose um, the protagonists for the chapters, uh, and where did you first learn about their journeys? Well, I think that um, both of us have worked for a long time in the corporate universe, and so we've for a long time known of some of these companies. And I think that um, there's also a leading pack of corporates really showing the way on this. And we were turning to them and wanting to say, when they're doing it well, what does it look like? Uh, when in no way arguing that all businesses act like this. In fact, part of the reason for writing it is to say, if we could see more clearly what the ones who are doing it effectively are doing, would it help make more of it happen? So we were definitely turning to the leading corporates. And then we were also asking, can we be sure we've gone really across the sectors to show that this isn't something unique to any sector? You mentioned mining. A lot of people even said to us, how can you have mining in a book about how business does good? On the other hand, virtually everything, you know, the equipment around us counts on mining. So the question isn't, do we need the industry or not? The question is, how can the industry act in a way that's positive for the world around it? So that was the question we were asking of every single sector, really. But you're, you're absolutely right to say it's a, it's a journey. And I think we, we were very keen from the outset to, to make sure that the, the heroes of this book are the people in the companies, actually, because that's where the, re the real energy is. And so often it's really easy to think of these big companies as these sort of faceless, monolithic kind of entities, whereas they are just collections of, of, of people and organisational structures and, you know, and relationships. And, and that's, that's where the change happens, actually. So we wanted to go and see what does it look like at the front line when these big companies are interacting with the communities around them, when they're really tangling with the issues that are, that are confronting them. What does that actually look like and what are those people going through? What's their experiences? And to bring that to life was what we've tried to do. Were you drawing on prior experience in the field with these companies or did you actually embark on your own journey around the world to some of these sites and communities to, to draw on? Very much both. Uh, I mean, Lucy and I both, both have seen this kind of independently in, 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 our, uh, in our own histories. I spent a lot of time out, out you know, I was working for brands like Coca-Cola and uh, spent a lot of time out, out in Africa where I would almost expect to, you know, people would see Coke as the, as the bad guys, actually, you know, these big, massive, uh, global, multinational. Um, whereas actually, you see, I remember meeting a whole bunch of people at one point in, in Ethiopia who were absolutely clear that you take a company like Coca-Cola that at that point had been in Africa for about 80 years, very few institutions have invested over such a long time frame in Africa, have done more in terms of creating uh, wealth through the supply chains, through the, you know, working with the farmers, through the distribution networks, through training people in their, their operations. And I remember having some of these guys who worked for like the UNICEFs and Save the Children's of this world saying, you know, these big companies can achieve more in a place like Africa than many of the NGOs, actually. And that was a shock to me at the time to, to hear that. And, and, uh, that creating that loop in a way is partly why we've written the book to close that loop. And, and interestingly, one of the things that really comes across, and I, I hope it comes across in the stories, is that one of the startling things when you see it from inside a company is how detailed the work is. This isn't conceptual, theoretical work at the senior levels. It needs senior endorsement, but what actually happens is very detailed, very on the ground, very skilled, and it takes people a long time and they're learning lessons as they go all the time. So when you meet the people who are doing this, you find yourself sort of just warming, warming to the fact that they're working so hard at this and they're really trying to make change happen. And you don't often hear that story told and you don't even hear it in books about social change, which are very often conceptual. 
So that's why we wanted to draw on the people, I think. No, I think that's a really interesting point. I think it's amazing to think how few employees of the companies you're studying and how few customers actually know about the stories you're telling. Exactly. Why do you think the story hasn't been effectively told, either by the protagonists you've interviewed and featured, or more broadly by the external affairs, the media affairs companies of the companies you're working with. It's, it's very powerful, again, both to customers and to employees, and yet it's a largely untold story. To, to some extent, it's a new story. I mean, there's, there's no doubt that you know, uh, business has got a long history of interacting with communities, and there are lots of examples of, of uh, you know, self enlightened self-interest stretching back decades. But actually, what, what we're looking at with this book are very much a leading bunch of companies on a new edge of figuring out how do we really deal with society, deal with our, all our relationships in the world, uh, it, to create the broadest possible set of positive outcomes. And, and that is, is really a new story. And I think the, the, the headlines have been dominated by you know, leaks and spills and uh, you know, tax avoidance and absolute litany of, of corporate uh, you know, wrongdoing. Um, that's the story that people have. That's what's in the public imagination. This is an antidote to that, but it's nascent. Um, and I think the, you know, the reason for writing the book really is to try and, and give that energy, to try and put you know, wind in the sails of that, of that nascent movement. And interestingly, when we began to write it, and you talk to people, we talk, we're talking to loads of people, because as you say, we're working cross sectors and right from the boardroom, right out to the front line. So you were talking about it all the time. And one of the questions that would come from the skeptics, as, to use your language, would be, oh yes, I know businesses do some good things, but usually they're just on the side, aren't they? They're just peripheral. And so the thing that's particularly new, I think, is the dialogue about how does a business take this way of interacting with the world into its core? How do we reconnect the core of business to wider society? And when John refers to them as leaders, what makes them leaders is those are the companies experimenting with that. So um, then, actually, it, it's hardly a story to be told. And a lot of companies who don't get this theme at all they may be in the headlines for the very drastic breaking of some kind of social contract. And the historical methodology would have been to say, but we are doing some good things over here, almost like they're a trade-off. And one of the things we're trying to write about is, suppose we didn't buy that trade-off anymore. Suppose you actually asked yourself, as a company, why would we, all of us, look at you and go, well, broadly speaking, that's, that's a good thing. That company is working in a positive way. So we're trying to get beyond a sort of narrative that goes, they're good, they're evil, they're good, they're evil, and go, what? direction of travel are they? And that's another of the images about journey, really. It doesn't happen all at once. You have to start and then you have to keep moving. So that this is a journey for the companies as well. And we're trying to show that. I think one of the constraints that many companies face is, is time horizons, the different time horizons of investors, of analysts, and even of managers who are looking for their next promotion uh, or their next lateral move. And the payoffs uh, from the strategies you're describing by bringing society into the core are often five, 10, maybe 20 years out, creating an African middle class, uh, India rising, uh, new customers, new products, new services, new technologies. Um, what, what tools, what processes have you seen in place to, to focus attention on the longer term and avoid the short term pressures at the individual or at the corporate level? I think it's another reason that it's a new story because I think one of the reasons it's shaping up in the way it is, is that the crash and all the fallout from that is actually opening a new conversation about 
long-term capitalism, long-term shareholder value. And it's not an accident that some of the industries that are leading in this are some of the most problematical industries that have had to forge an answer. And also, if you are a mining company or a big engineering company or a pharmaceutical company, your horizon is longer. So actually, for the leading CEOs, there's quite um, a, a, an opportunity in being able to talk to your shareholders about the long term again and about saying that some of these issues are about delivering strategic long-term value, not short-term quarterly value. You could think of it as, uh, think about license to operate. Um, you look at an issue like water, for example, and you see the long term and the, <clears throat> and the kind of immediate term collide completely. So, um, okay, water's clearly a very long term issue and managing water stewardship is a long term question. However, then you get um, uh, the likes of Coca-Cola and PepsiCo almost kicked out of India overnight for their you know, behaviour around uh, water and the issues uh, surround, surrounding that. So it wasn't a question of short-term, long-term. This is a big issue that we need to address now. And shareholders often understand it as risk management. So in a mining company, it'll be actually the non-technical risk, social and political risk, is maybe what's stopping your project. So there is a marriage of these two themes, but it will take a while. Well, I noted that many of the stories, many of the journeys begin with a crisis or a billion dollar loss. Uh, do you think the companies who want to follow in the footsteps of these leaders, um, who want to start their own journeys, need a jolt that big? Uh, do we really need a, a crisis, a billion dollar loss, deaths to, to focus attention on broader societal issues? Um, if not, what else separates the companies uh, that are engaged in more superficial philanthropy on the side from those that are bringing it into the core? It seems like crises and shocks are, are a big motivator. Yeah, I mean, there, there's no, no doubt that a lot of the companies that, that we talk about who really are breaking new ground in terms of the way they deal with environmental issues or in social relationships have been through a really think of it as like a dark night of the soul. They've had some terrible times and they've had to dig really deep and figure out who are we actually and how actually do we do, do, we do business? Um, but I, you know, if, if other companies want to wait <laughs> until they have that moment, fine. I mean, in a, the way we think of it in a, in a way is what business is good at is changing, actually, and adapting. And you know, businesses that don't do that go extinct. That's the nature of business, actually. And you know, those companies that are leaders now are leaders because they had to adapt to some extreme situations that they found themselves in. Um, other businesses may learn from that and may get ahead of the game, or they may wait until their own dark night comes and visits them. Um, they'd be smarter to get ahead of it. I think there's a new paradigm emerging, though, because short-term shareholder value is being so heavily questioned. So if you're, what you're saying is, does it need a jolt? But like people, sometimes a jolt is what it takes. But actually, there is a new paradigm emerging. It, when I started to advise corporates a long time ago, it was quite natural for a CEO to say, the purpose of this company is to deliver shareholder value. There are not many CEOs that say that now. And it's because actually, people are beginning to realize that it does have to work for everybody shorthand for all stakeholders. And so there is a new norm being created, which is that you're really derelict in your duty unless you're understanding the long term and unless you're understanding the breadth of shareholder value, uh, stakeholder value. So I think that there is a new norm arriving that may mean that not everybody has to go through that jolt to get that thought in their heads. Well, so as to give um, people a flavor of these kind of journeys, but without diminishing the incentives to, to buy the book and read them in their full depth, uh, could you tell us about one journey and company that you contemplated including, but maybe got left out uh, that, that had to, to be cut uh, before the final version of the book? Wow, what a good question. <laughs> 
gosh, how can that stop us in our tracks? Because there's so much to say. Um, there are lots of companies. Um, I think that uh, we did wonder about Walmart um, because um, that's an amazing company in sense of its sheer scale and that the, for so many people it's the villain of the piece and a picture of the problem. And for many people who begin to understand how companies change, a lot of people st step back quite surprised at the degree to which they've taken this whole approach on. And so they're right at the center of the debate about how much can this be at the heart of uh, modern capitalism. And I think one of the other reasons they're so interesting is they're so big. And a lot of the argument we're making is the reason big business is such a powerful act of a change is that they have the scale to make change. So we would have been interested to continue the story with Walmart, I think. So if individual managers or students uh, want to get their companies to embrace this sort of change, um, what should they do? For students, what skills are important for them to acquire or build within a company? How do you press an influence strategy to embrace these kind of initiatives? Or if contemplating a career shift, uh, what sort of companies should people be choosing to work for? I think, um, I mean, we, we have a, a, a couple of, of, sort of frames of reference, if, if you like, that for people starting to think about this area, um, I think provide a, a really useful way of thinking, what are we actually talking about when we're talking about the role of a business in society? And in the book, we, uh, we have this model we call the prism, uh, which essentially is you know, when you're talking about a business in the world and, and the effects it can have, what you're talking about generally is one of five things. So you're talking about the purpose that a company has the sense of purposefulness that it acts with. You're talking about the products, you know, what does it actually sell? Um, you're talking about the practices that it has to, that it uses to, you know, take those products to market, to manufacture them, to distribute them. Um, any philanthropy that a company chooses to undertake. And, and then we've got um, the point of view of a company. So what does it actually think about the big issues that are, that are really relevant to it? And, and we've suggested that really because it can be a kind of daunting and kind of complex and, and slightly vague area with all of these terms kind of, you know, uh, um, yeah, hitting into each other. And this model, the, uh, the prism, we think is just a quite simple way of looking at what, what are we actually talking about when we're talking about the role of a business in society. There is a, um, there is a sort of a leadenness actually still in the language around this. So, you know, a lot of the time for the mainstream sort of world of business, you talk about the words like sustainability and responsibility and citizenship and, and you know, important, great, you know, these, these all come from very good places. But there's a large amount of the business world that just switches off when they hear those words. And what they hear is this is about trade-off. This is about, this is a cost center, basically. Um, and what we're trying to say really is that this is an opportunity actually for business um, and, for, and for the world and that's a different way of looking at it so to get out of that mentality and so to think of the role a business plays in society is, is really the, the key I think to, to getting started. And if you're saying what should you do either as a manager or as somebody wondering whether to join a business, um, one of the other things we talk a lot about is get outside the business. You know this is about reconnecting business to society against that uh, prejudice against that stereotype that business is the 
problem, not the solution. So actually for a lot of people trying to make change in their businesses, almost the simplest thing is get some of your people outside the business. And one of the really common themes of the great stories is that somebody in there has had the imagination to take people at all levels of the business right outside it and look at the way it acts in the world and look at the big challenges that bother everybody in the world and ask themselves, what is our business to that? Can we help? And if you put together the prism with the question, can we help? You get pretty close to a way of acting. So uh, another component of the book is these 11 conversations um, that you, you draw upon a number of different reports from the United Nations, the World Economic Forum, and look at 11 areas, sort of issue areas uh, in which companies can contribute. Um, almost every company you examine, though, touches on multiple areas, if not all of them. So how do they choose which one is core to them, which one should they focus on in their initiatives and embrace, um, and which stakeholders should they listen to in making those difficult choices? Because at some level, there is still a trade-off. You can't have uh, dozens of initiatives. Uh, you need to bring this into the core and focus, uh, and the, each company seems to have made a choice on one, two, or three of the conversations. But if again, if I'm a manager, how do I choose which one? The extraordinary thing is that it almost makes itself if you're asking where can we be most helpful, where are we most relevant. And uh, certainly the 11 conversations are for us like a sort of landscape of the problems in the world that people really worry about. And if you show that to any top figure in business, they'll look at it and like you said, they'll kind of go, oh, here, 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 here. And if you go, but if you really could make the biggest difference, I've never known anybody not go, it's here and here. And then actually you, you aim the, the resources, the skills, the expertise, the imagination of your business at those areas where you have greatest relevance and greatest power to change. And it's a fun conversation to have with, with businesses, actually. People get really into, oh, we're relevant to that one and to that one and to, and before you know it, yeah. as you say, they're relevant to, to all of them. But actually, something rises to the top, really, that, that gets the energy. But actually, the really important thing about um, the 11 conversations is not playing that game, but actually the attitude shift that underlies it, because really what we're saying is, you know, the old model of a, the way a big business interacted with the world was very much, you know, messaging focus. It's like, what do we have to say and what are the issues that we need to manage? And it was a really defensive crouch, basically. And what the 11 Conversations is saying is, get outside of it, you know. What are the, what are the issues in the world that everybody is worried about, you know? What are the, the challenges that we're all facing? And what do we have as a business that could be relevant to that, that could make us part of that solution? Um, so it's, it's more, more than anything else, it's just about shifting the perspective. Well, thank you both for, for taking the time. And uh, I really enjoyed reading the journeys. Uh, I really enjoyed the time uh, to discuss them and uh, learning more about how the book came together. It's really been a pleasure. Thank, thank, thank you. you. For more business news and analysis from Knowledge at Wharton, please visit knowledge.wharton.upenn.edu.